I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast that dives deep into the climate crisis and comes up with solutions that work. I'm Molly Wood. Today, I'm talking about sustainability in two ways. First, how our shopping impacts global warming. And second, a startup that's trying to make our buying choices a whole lot easier. Plus, I'll preview an upcoming summit in Paris where world leaders will try to come to an agreement about plastics. That is three things I know my podcasts don't care. First up, let's do a little explainer, which gives me an excuse to bust out a new segment name that I have been very excited about. The shallow end. Okay, consumer goods make up about a third of all greenhouse gas emissions. That means packaged food and the we buy that's separate from our transportation, energy, and water use. And as long as we're in the shallow end, here's a little Climate Science 101 for your Facebook uncles. Greenhouse gases include carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. We often shorthand this to carbon emissions because carbon dioxide is the most plentiful emission by far, followed by methane. The greenhouse gas effect is what actually keeps the planet warm enough to live. The sun's energy enters our atmosphere as light and then leaves it as infrared radiation. Greenhouse gases reflect the radiation back to Earth in the form of heat, so we're not a cold, dead, lifeless rock. Yay! But the more gases in the atmosphere, the more heat is reflected back. We slowly start to cook. One more fun fact before we get back to shopping. A woman scientist named Eunice Foote was the first to discover that increases in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere could cause warming on Earth. That was in 1856. Some guy did the same research a few years later and got all the credit. Plus ça change. Okay, back to shopping. After energy, food and consumer goods are the biggest cause of carbon emissions in a household. The emissions come from lots of different places, sourcing the raw materials to make the thing, the packaging, the shipping, the actual consumption, and the disposal. Everything has what I like to call a true cost. There's what you paid, And then there's the carbon cost that takes into account all those other things. When you start to think of products in that way, you realize, wow, we spend a ton of money and emit a lot of carbon moving like water around the world. The water in beverages, dish soap, laundry detergent, toothpaste, shampoo, actual literal water. It's heavy, so you need a lot of gas or diesel to move it. It's bulky, so you need a lot of trucks and shipping containers. Then there's how most stuff comes in plastic. Some goods come in recycled plastic. Everything has chemicals, but some stuff has far fewer chemicals. And that's not just better for your body. It's better when you get rid of the packaging or the inch of leftover lotion that you can't get out of the bottle. And now that we're paying attention to these things, and by the way, fully two-thirds of consumers say they want more sustainable product options, then you open up a whole new world of product design and options and questions. 
which is where it gets daunting, confusing, and annoying because how do you know what's real and what isn't real, right? Well, that is the type of problem that can generate a lot of opportunity. So after the break, a startup that's making it easier for you to buy better stuff. It really is that simple. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. Next up, a cool startup to make it easier for you to dive into better shopping. I am Lizzie Horvitz, and I run Finch, which decodes products, environmental impacts, and helps consumers make better purchasing decisions. Here's how it works. So Finch scores products based on six different impact areas, climate, water, waste, human well-being, ecological footprint, and raw materials. And we do a ton of upfront research to show what is making detergent sustainable or not sustainable. We look at academic papers, NGO reports, everything. And then we look at data, both that we pay for and that we can scrape from the public domain and give every product that's on Amazon and Target a score between zero and 10. That shows up in two ways. The first is through a browser extension. Um, We work on Amazon and Target, as mentioned. And when you download the extension onto Chrome, you're able to see, okay, I'm looking at Garnier Fructis. That gets a six out of 10. I can do better. Here are four alternatives in case I want to make a better purchasing decision. You can also go to our website, choosefinch.com, and you can see each product, how it's scored, how the six different impact areas are scored. And then my favorite part of the website is that you're able to follow friends and tag what your favorite products are. So I'm able to say, wow, Molly's got great skin. What type of face wash is she using? And I can follow you. I do have great skin. And here's how Lizzie got her start at the best sounding summer camp ever. I have been in the sustainability space, I feel like for a really long time. It was 2004 that I was exposed to, I was living off the grid in the Bahamas, which is a story for a different time. But No, it's not. That is a story for now. <laughs> I was um, 16 and my parents uh, allowed me this opportunity to go live at a place called the Island School, which was run only on wind power, solar panels. If it didn't rain, we weren't allowed to shower. Um, it was pretty strict. And in 2004, you know, you remember... Of course, there were scientists that were talking about climate change, but it was in no way making headlines like it was today. And so I think what scares a lot of people about entering the climate space is that they get so overwhelmed with these horrible stories of droughts and wildfires and climate refugees. And I really came into this in the opposite way, where I saw this beautiful way of living, not based on fossil fuels, and realized sort of the solution before I fully understood the problem. And so it was really since then that I dedicated my career towards mitigating climate change in the private sector. I got an MBA and a master's in environmental management focused really on what can large companies do to reduce their carbon footprint. That took me to Unilever, which was a fantastic experience. I was on their supply chain team. I first was actually on their cold chain logistics team, figuring out how to move ice cream around from the distribution centers. And then I switched to their sustainability team, helping integrate the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan into the 38 brands in North America. And while I was there, a couple of things were happening. Trump was elected 
And a lot of my community realized like, wow, the government really doesn't have our back on this. They're pulling out of Paris. They're rolling back a lot of EPA laws. And I need to take more responsibility as a, as a person, as a human individual. So I started getting a lot more questions from family and friends on like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to be doing? What do these words mean? What should I be looking for when I'm buying these products? And I, you know, had a couple of thoughts, one of which was, I don't know the answers to all of this. Like I'm having a hard time understanding what to pay attention, what to really trust on the internet. And also what's happening to all these people who don't have a friend like me who has a formal background in this space? Like, where are they going for this information? Mm-hmm. And what I learned was that a lot of people just became apathetic, right? You, you have good intentions. You look for a couple of hours online and try to do some research. And then you give up and you're like, I'm just going to get what's less expensive or the product that I like most. And so I really started thinking about how I can make this information more accessible to people. I started a newsletter. It was called The Green Lizard and then left Unilever and wanted to try something totally different. I became chief operating officer of a company based in Southeast Asia. And it was really there that I just fell in love with entrepreneurship, taking a company from inception to scale, everything that comes with a startup. And right at the beginning of COVID, I decided that this newsletter should become a full-time thing. And it sort of evolved into what Finch is now. What's interesting, everything about that is interesting, but what's especially interesting, I think, is that you had that experience and you could have said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life living off the grid Mm -hmm. and taken, you know, like a hippie approach to it. And instead you took a capitalist approach. Tell me about how you decided that that this was a, a business opportunity as opposed to like a lifestyle, you know? It's a really interesting question. And I think that has to do with my background and community of family and friends. I, my parents are capitalists, right? Like we grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. We shop at Amazon. We use plastic bags. Like my parents are really thoughtful, conscious people, but we grew up pretty normally. And so I just saw, particularly in Cleveland, you know, not these like coastal elites that's so called, Uh you know, there's a lot of different types of people there who are never going to stop shopping at Walmart and doing what they normally do. And so I think very early on, I, and I learned this also, I had a stint in the nonprofit world that I loved, but realized like, instead of being on the defensive side of like trying to shut down the Amazons and Walmarts of the world, let's understand that they're probably not going away anytime soon. And so let's try to just make them as good as they can possibly be. And so I would like to get to a place where people don't have to take it upon themselves to make these huge sweeping life changes. I envision a world in which we can all live the way that we want to. And the infrastructure supporting that is making the right decision so that we don't have to feel guilty when we're shopping. Finch makes money two ways. First, by selling sustainability scores to retailers. And in fact, Finch has a deal with Microsoft Bing, where when you search for products on a shopping tab, it shows their sustainability scores. And also... The second, and in my opinion, much more interesting way is that we're gathering really valuable insights on how consumers are interacting with this data. So we're able to see, okay, women in San Francisco of this age bracket 
is twice as likely to buy detergent pods than men in the same location or than women in New York City. Um, and that we sell either to data aggregators or brands. And the value of that is that brands spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on focus groups where consumers say, oh, of course I'll buy this new product, right? Aluminum free deodorant, fantastic. I'll pay an extra $2.50 for that. At checkout, it's a very different story. And so we are closing what they call the say and do gap, right? Where consumers, it's not because they're lying. It's just because we don't really know ourselves until we're actually checking out. We don't know what we what we will actually do. And so we're seeing in real time, someone looked at this product, they ended up going with another one and here's how much more they paid for it. Or or they didn't end up going with, with another one. And that in and of itself is valuable data. Yeah. Super important for, I would imagine, marketing product design, like all of, and even deciding whether to commit to a line of sustainable products, for example. Exactly. And we're also able to really get granular on hey, Dove, stop talking about the packaging because people aren't buying based on the packaging. They're buying based on the ingredients or being fragrance-free or something like this. Like we're able to get to that level of, we know that greenwashing is a serious problem and we can help you with what language actually works to get people to buy your products in an authentic way, obviously. Is the data bearing that out? Like, I mean, certainly people who are interacting with your extension or coming to your site, they're obviously self-selecting. Yes. But do you feel like you have a sense of whether it works for people? I think they're mixed. It's definitely yes more than no, but the results are mixed. And I know we we talked about this a little bit before. There's sort of behavior change and then there's behavior change light. And I think what we're seeing is behavior change light is no problem, right? Like people will buy the plastic, the ocean plastic bottle, as opposed to the virgin plastic bottle. That's not hard because that's the exact same experience, right? You might have a little bit of a premium. Sometimes you don't, which is great. But then once it, once you're at home with a shampoo bottle, it's exactly the same. When we're asking people to change to a shampoo bar or to a detergent sheet that they've never used before, that is a heavier lift. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just an innovation problem that always happens beyond sustainability. I think there's just like a learning curve that comes with that. So it's not to say that it's forever. What else is interesting is that greenwashing is really working in a negative way. Um, For example, products that are made in brown packaging are selling better in sort of more left-leaning conscious areas just by pure like this is a brown package. So I assume that it's better for the planet when in reality, like there doesn't have to be any more information about it. So that's the type of information that like we are taking in and we're using, but we don't really want to go to companies and say, Hey, you're going to sell more if you use brown packaging, even if it's not sustainable. Like you could literally dye a virgin paper bag brown and that would sell better. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. What other kinds of greenwashing are people not aware of? I think greenwashing itself is a term that you hear a lot. And I sometimes have this reaction where I'm like, look, maybe it is, but it's still training people to think a different way. But also it's really bad. I think the two problems with greenwashing are first, that it's so unregulated. And second, that there are so many trade-offs to make. You can literally put clean, eco-friendly packaging and have it not have anything to do with sustainability, right? And so that is really dangerous where people look at that and I don't blame them and they say, okay, this must be good because they're why would they put it on their package otherwise? Right. And then along with that, 
there are so many trade-offs to make in terms of the reason we have these six impact areas is, are we talking about climate? Are we talking about ocean plastic, et cetera? And particularly in the past couple of years, ocean plastic has become such a, such an issue, right? Everybody has that, that vision burned in their brain of like the turtle with a straw stuck in its nose. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, Yes, plastic straws are not ideal. Ocean plastic is, of course, terrible. But when you look at the scale of how much ocean plastic there is responsible for killing wildlife versus the climate change impact on wildlife, it makes you rethink like, okay, maybe metal straws aren't as good as we thought they were, right? Like buying a 10-pack of metal straws and having them sit on your in your cabinet is definitely worse from an overall environmental perspective than using plastic straws for 100 days straight. Huh. Does that make sense? Really? Because it is so, because it's so, let's break it down because it's so energy intensive to make a metal straw. Right. So, you know, 100%, if you're holding a metal straw, you know, the energy that it was, that required it to make, to be made. Right. And that comes with negative implications. And if you're not using that to its fullest extent and it's just sitting there, those are carbon emissions that didn't necessarily need to happen. I see. With a plastic straw, Yes, it could end up in the ocean, but it's not definitely going to end up in the ocean. And it's not definitely going to contribute to our ocean plastic problem. And to make the plastic straw required significantly less energy than to make the metal straw. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm simplifying. There are obviously a ton of different nuances and issues. And this is not to say don't use metal straws. Right, it's, right, right. It's if you buy a metal straw, use it every single day. And then you will, you know, make the most of it. And if you don't have a metal straw, if you forget your metal straw, the better thing to do is just to take the plastic straw or if you're able, obviously not use a straw at all, rather than buying another one. It's the same idea as if you forget your canvas tote at home when you're shopping at the grocery store, the last thing you should do is buy another canvas tote. How many totes do we all have in our house that's that are just like sitting in our closet? Get a plastic or paper bag that one time, give yourself a little slap on the wrist and move on. But if you think of the energy it requires to make that cotton, it's not ideal. Yep. And these are such good examples of, I think, the way that people end up paralyzed, right? They just sort yes. of end up being like, I, what do you want from me? Like, I do not know the right way forward. And so ideally, the right way forward is like the only option you have is the best possible option. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So we're trying to sort of narrow that and just tell people what the best move is. So tell us about like, let's do a little window shopping. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell us, I mean, some of these products are really new I don't think most people, like I just became aware of of shampoo bars and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like talk about some of the product innovation that you're starting to see when it comes to alternatives to stuff we use every day. We love shampoo bars. That's another really cool one. I think the problem with shampoo bars is that they don't have the same, they don't, they're not used the same. They're not even used the same as like a Dove body wash bar. They don't lather like normal shampoos do. And Mm -hmm. I, for one, I have a lot of hair. I kind of miss that lathering. And you're sort of like putting this bar on your hair being like, is this doing anything? (laughs) And it ends up being fine, but it just, that's an example of like one that has a really big learning curve. And if you're not diehard on sustainability, um, that can be tough. Our favorite one is High Bar. That's a great company. Okay. Yeah, I've seen these. I have seen ads for these on Instagram and they are really interesting. But it's funny, like if you buy... I can remember a time when I bought some like expensive fancy shampoo and they were like, this doesn't lather the same way because the lathering effect itself is artificial. It's like from a chemical. Anyway, it's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yes. 
Also, remember what I was saying earlier about moving water around? I am particularly interested in the detergent innovations um, in a couple of different ways. I think, you know, it's funny, powder has been around forever, right? In those cardboard boxes. That's an amazing way to go. Um, the thing that that I forget about and that I think a lot of consumers forget about is that when you're using a product that you put with water, something like body wash, shampoo, detergent, you don't need then water to be already in the package, right? Why would you pay to have something shipped and add that those carbon emissions for a heavier truck um, if you're just going in the shower and there's already water being used, right? And so in detergent, I think the powder and the sheets are really interesting because those are water-free and then chemically, I'm, and I'm not even sure of like what happens on the scientifically, but um, it washes your clothes as well, in my opinion, as your standard liquid detergent. I think pods are also really interesting. I'm a big fan of Drops, for example, is a great brand that we love. And just pods in general, there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of controversy over the casing, which is this thing called polyvinyl alcohol mm -hmm. that technically is a plastic, but it breaks down even smaller than microplastics and really gets washed out. And so in Finch's opinion, it's really not, not that problematic. Oh, really? I'm so happy to hear that because I stress about the pods. Yeah. Oh, okay. They do have water. They do have water. They have a little bit of water, but they're made generally in, they're plastic free. They're made generally in cardboard packages. Mm -hmm. And they're also portioned out. Like so much of this is how much you're using. And there's just so much waste when it comes to liquid detergent and, and the messiness around it. Like that all adds up. How do you decide what categories to highlight on the website based on, you know, what people are shopping for? So our customer base is really interesting because it's generally people who are going through a new phase of life. So starting with people who are graduating from college for the first time and have never, or high school, and have never bought their own paper towels. It's people who are buying their first house, having their first babies. It's these people entering these like new life stages. And then really interestingly, we see this jump from like 45-year-olds all the way to 65-year-olds. Like 45 to 65 is like our least interested customer base. Huh. And I think we think from the research we've done, we think it's because they're like, I've got kids, I've got a full-time job. I'm like just doing my day to day. I'm not, I'm not interested in changing my shampoo brand. But then 65 and older, these people are for a combination of reasons, just really interested in sustainability. They're starting to retire. They have more time to think about this stuff. They're having grandchildren maybe and thinking about how they're leaving the world to their grandchildren. So they're really engaged. And so with that, we choose products that those different customer bases are using. We're also choosing products. Generally, we have a couple of outliers that people buy pretty often. So we encourage you to try a new toilet paper brand. If you hate it, we're sorry, but worst thing is you have to buy it again in three months. So it's really not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these are highly consumable, relatively inexpensive. We have some outliers like textiles. We have towels and sheets. We do mattresses. Yeah. And then it's, you know, we just partnered with a really interesting company that's scoring products that are found on airplanes. And so for those, if a company is paying us to score products, we're looking into amenity kits right now, which we wouldn't have normally done. And so it's kind of a combination of what are our consumers asking for and what are our, you know, paid partnership companies looking for. I love that. I was just flying and I was looking around the plane thinking like, huh, there's about a hundred different startups and or stories in the amount of waste on planes. <laughs> it's a really interesting one. Planes are so interesting and people focus, 
so much on the fuel, right? Like your carbon footprint is so bad, which that's where the focus should be. But that is like years off to finding a, a hardcore solution. And there are, as you said, like a ton of things that we can do in the meantime. Right. Because in the interim, they're giving everybody on the plane multiple plastic cups. I know. It's multiple. Crazy. Like you don't need a yeah. different cup every time you get a new soda. It's just appalling. And I always wonder, like some airlines are good about recycling, but I never know if they're actually doing it or just like putting it all in the same bag. I'm yeah. skeptical. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, Lizzie, where can people find Finch? Where can they interact? Where can they go? Where should they look? So go to choosefinch.com. That is your first stop. Um, sign up and start writing reviews. Follow your friends. And then download our extension. You can get that through choosefinch.com. And then on Instagram, we are at choosefinch. Amazing. Lizzie, thank you so much. This is incredible. This is exactly the kind of like adoptable, obvious, practical solution that I'm obsessed with. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for the time. All right. Now, I know that this is still a little bit of work. And when it comes to the American consumer in particular, convenience tends to come before everything else. But those of you who are willing to be early adopters help set the tone for everyone else. You're the drops that become the flood so that pretty soon everything on the shelves is better than what it was before. Because companies are responding to this consumer pressure. So keep it up. And policy will help here, too. Later this week, actually, negotiators from around the world are getting together in Paris for the second of five rounds of talks designed to result in a binding global treaty on how to deal with plastics and the toxic chemicals inside them. This could massively change the way consumer goods are packaged, designed, and disposed of, making your job, consumer, a lot easier. There could be taxes on plastics, incentive to create biodegradable alternatives, or even mandates for recycling plastic or using recycled plastic. All of that keeps chemicals and waste out of land, ocean, water, air, our DNA. And don't forget that plastic is made from petroleum. The less virgin plastic we create and use, the more oil we can leave in the ground. So help is on the way in a lot of forms. And just a quick reminder that in the meantime, the actual best thing that you can do as an individual person in the world trying to become a set of drops that becomes a flood is buy less crap. The good news is that this saves you money and storage space. Just less. It's the easiest thing ever. All right, that's it for this week on Everybody in the Pool. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using. I would really appreciate it. Hack the algorithm with me. Email your thoughts and ideas to in at everybodyinthepool.com. And for an even deeper dive, sign up for my newsletter at mollywood.co. And remember, together, we can get this done. See you next week. Mm-hmm.